Remember last week we had a discussion as kind of an introduction about studying the book of Romans because Romans is probably the most uh, theologically in-depth book in the New Testament because Paul outlines for you everything that you need to understand concerning your salvation. And and the reason why we're going to look at this is because for most of us, we, we kind of, we understand salvation to a point, but we really don't understand it, okay? And we, we don't understand why people need Jesus. And we're going to be looking, that, looking at that over the next few weeks. So we're going to get right into this letter today. We're going to look at the first seven verses of Romans chapter 1. And we're going to look at verses 1 to 7, and we're going to see a letter to Rome from the Apostle himself, from the Apostle Paul. Here's what I want you to understand. At this point, when this letter was written, Paul had not been to Rome yet. He's going to express that desire in his letter that he wants to go there. Now, you and I know from the book of Acts, especially when you get to the closing chapter of the book of Acts, Paul makes it to Rome, right? But as a prisoner. What you're going to see in this letter is, is Paul's going to express his desire to come visit them, you know, you know, when he's able to get there. So obviously he got there, but not, not according to his timetable, okay? So let's look together. Uh, we're going to look at uh, verse 1, first of all, and it's just a common way for Paul to identify himself uh, to whoever he's writing. Uh, so I want you to notice... What it says, verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. All right, so let's talk about his identity. Uh, the writer of the letter is Paul, so it's very obvious. This is how Paul usually starts out his letters. It's the apostle Paul. You and I know that he has written half of the books of the New Testament and then has influenced uh, Luke in writing. Probably Luke was probably influenced greatly by him as a companion of Paul, and he wrote uh, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. It's very evident from the writer of Hebrews that the writer of Hebrews obviously knew who Paul was and was involved with the people who were around Paul. That's why some people think that the writer of Hebrews is Paul, but it's, it's probably not. So here we are, he's saying in this letter, the letter to the Romans, he's Paul. Now here's what he says about himself. First thing he says about himself is that he identifies himself as a slave of Jesus Christ. A slave of Jesus Christ. Now, he uses the term bondservant. Now, does anybody understand what that term means? Anybody know what a bondservant is? Okay, somebody that owes somebody something and they got to work it off. Okay, that's a good way of defining it. Yeah, that's true. Uh, we used to, in, in the early days of our country, back in the colonies, we had indentured servants. Do you remember, remember hearing that in history? Indentured servants. And an indentured servant was somebody back in England who owed some money. And so in order to pay off the money, they went and worked in the colonies. Okay. A lot of times in the southern colonies, because that's where a lot of crops were being uh, produced and so forth. So a bond servant is similar to that. Anybody else got an idea what a bond servant is? Here, a bond servant is like what Bruce was saying, somebody who owes somebody something. 
But the interesting thing about a bond servant is, is that it's the person is placing himself into slavery. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? He's placing himself into slavery to someone. And that's basically what Paul has done. He's placing himself into slavery to who? To Jesus. Okay, he's a servant to Jesus. All right, here's the other thing. He states that he was appointed an apostle. He states that he was appointed an apostle. Now, who appointed him an apostle? Yeah, Jesus did. I want you to understand that. Who picked the apostles? Just so, I'm going to hammer this question for a second. Who picked the apostles, everybody? Jesus. Now, why am I asking you that question? Why do you need to grasp that? Well, because today in America, there are certain denominations where, uh, quote, there are people who, who say that there are apostles today, like the Apostle Paul or Peter or some of them. And men are anointing these super pastors as apostles. Is that possible? Do you think that's possible? Okay, not necessarily, right, because and some of you look confused, you're not sure. Well, let's go back to who the original apostles were. The original apostles were made apostles because they were witnesses of who? Jesus. And they were witnesses of his what? Resurrection, or they saw the resurrected Jesus. Okay? We know that for sure about the eleven. And then we know that for sure about the Apostle Paul because he saw the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus and there he was appointed to be an apostle. Okay? Now let me just back up a second. With all of these apostles, did they choose to be apostles? Did they like show up said, hey, I'm filling out an application here to be your apostle? Did they do that? No, they were chosen. Jesus chose them. In fact, here's the interesting thing about Paul. Was he even wanting to be a Christian? No, he wasn't. In fact, he was persecuting Christians. So he's going to make the point here that he was appointed an apostle. Here's the other thing. Paul states that he was set apart for the ministry of the gospel. He was set apart for the ministry of the gospel. That's what it means there to be separated to the gospel. It means to be set apart to the ministry of the gospel. So, he had a special calling on his life. Okay? He had a special calling on his life. So now let's look. From that, he's going to talk about what the nature of the gospel is. And so that's where we're going to start off today. We're going to look at verses 2 through 6. And look at what the nature of the gospel is. Why are we doing that? Because it's, I think it's, that's what the whole whole letter is about, is the gospel and what the gospel does in our lives. So let's talk about the nature of the gospel. Look with me, verses 2 through 6. Because he's separated to the gospel of God. So then he goes on, verse 2, and talks about this gospel of God. Which he promised before through the prophets in the Holy Scripture, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among the nations for his name 
among whom you also are called of Jesus Christ. All right, so let's look at this. We're going to look at a couple of things here about the nature of, of, of the gospel. The first thing we're going to look at is the prophetic promises. Verse 2. Paul points out, points, points to the fact that the Old Testament promised the gospel. The Old Testament promised the gospel. What do you mean, George? When I read the Old Testament, I'm not sure if I understand there's a promise there. Well, let's go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. All the way back to the Garden of Eden when Jesus, when, uh, when God pronounces the judgment on Adam and Eve and Satan, he makes an interesting statement. He gives an interesting promise there. And that promise is, let me turn there. It's in Genesis chapter 3. He says this. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, who's he talking to? Satan. Who's going to bruise his head? That's a promise of somebody who's going to come and crush Satan's head. Who did that, folks? Jesus. But how did Satan bruise his heel? What does that mean? How does he bruise his heel? On the cross, yes, because when they were crucified, you ever notice when you look at pictures of people who are crucified, they're not crucified straight, their legs are not straight. Occasionally they would do that so that they would die quickly, because the cross is, as, as a tool of execution was not meant for quick death. It was meant as a tool of torture so that somebody would, in agony, hanging up there, be last as long as possible while he's experiencing death. And how they would do that is they would bend their knees and then nail them so that they had the ability to raise up and get a breath on their heel. Okay? That's why when you read the Gospels, when the Jewish leaders came on what we know as Good Friday and said, the Sabbath is approaching, we need to get them off the cross, it says that the Roman soldiers went around and they broke the legs, right? Why? Because if you break the legs, what happens? Yeah, you die because you asphyxiate, you can't get a breath. But when they came to Jesus, he was already what? Yeah, just want to check to see if you know the story. Good. All right. So, all the way in the Old Testament, the prophets, if you read through, the prophets pointed to the gospel. In fact, Abraham, in you, the nations will be blessed. In your seed, Abraham, the nations will be blessed. Jesus is the seed of Abraham, isn't he? A direct descendant of Abraham. And through Jesus, what? The nations are blessed, right? Okay? So here's what Paul's saying. The nature of the gospel is, is the fact that the Old Testament prophets promised the gospel. Okay? Let's go on. Jesus was the promised son of David who would come. Jesus was the promised son of David who would come. Now, to the Jew, the promised son of David is the Messiah. If you want to write that term down next to that, we're talking about the Messiah here. Jesus is the Messiah. Here's the other one. 
the Holy Spirit and the resurrection declare him to be the Son of God. How do we know that Jesus is who he said he is? Anybody know? How do we know that Jesus is who he says he is? How do we know that what Jesus says is valid? How do we know that it's true? How do we know that? Okay, he fulfilled prophecies. Okay, that's good. Yeah, through the Holy Spirit, the witness of the Holy Spirit to our lives, but ultimately through the resurrection. Because the fact that everything he said and who he was is true because he raised from the dead on the third day. That's not possible. How many of you know of resurrected people in the grave for three days? Do you understand what I'm saying? Getting up. Do you understand? So he, he, that declares him to be the Son of God. Not just a simple man, not just a simple descendant of David, but the Son of God. Alright? Let's continue on here. Look at Paul's calling now. Through Jesus, he received grace. Alright, now, here's what grace means. Grace means getting what you don't deserve. The theological definition is unmerited favor. Okay, but just everyday talking, the, we would talk to each other, it means getting what you don't deserve. Now, how did Paul get grace? I mean, it's a simple question, but how did he get grace? Did he deserve grace? No, none of us do, but man, think about it. I mean, he's like, I mean, he isn't just a dude who's reacting towards Christianity. I mean, he's doing his best to stamp it out. Yeah, he calls himself the chief of sinners. Okay, so when you talk about God extending grace to him, when you talk about God reaching out and touching Paul's life, even when he wasn't even asking for it, that's grace, isn't it? That's getting what you don't deserve, right? Because a lot of us would say, Hey, he deserves worse than that. Think about what he did. But he received grace. That's the gospel, folks. Grace being given to you in spite of you. Did you understand what I'm saying? So let, let's just stop for a moment. Let's, let's grasp the point. Let it soak in. Alright? You ain't that good. Don't look at yourself and say, I'm okay. You ain't that good. Do you understand what I'm saying? You have made enough mistakes. Well, my mistakes aren't as bad as somebody else. Look, quit worrying about somebody else's. Your mistakes, the stuff that you've done wrong, is worthy of death in Jesus and God's eyes. Do you understand? You ain't that good. Quit thinking of yourself as being that good, that you're okay, because you're not. You need grace. And when grace was shown to you, when you got saved, grace was shown to you, right? Okay. When grace was shown to you, it was what you didn't deserve. Salvation is what you didn't deserve. That's the nature of the gospel. Do you understand? The nature of the gospel is getting grace from Jesus that we don't deserve. Because, folks, again, we ain't that good. Do you understand what I'm saying? We're not that good. That blows, this, in fact, let me just stop for a minute, let me, let me make this point. When I hear people say, oh, there's, the church is filled with nothing but hypocrites, 
That's a really a sad. That's a really a sad statement. Why? Because of all the people who should know that they ain't that good, it should be the people in the church. Did you know what I'm saying? Because the only reason why we're here is because of what? Grace. Did you understand what I'm saying? And so when 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 outside people, people who aren't saved outside the church, look at a church and they say. Well, those people think they're better and special and holy and whatever. And, and let's be honest, some people do act that way, right? Okay? Let's just admit that some church people do act that way. It's pretty sad because the outside world recognizes something that we inside the church don't recognize, and that's what? We're not that good. And we need grace. Okay? And we are children of grace. So through Jesus, he received grace. And here's what else he says. Paul stated that through Jesus, he was placed in the apostleship. Man, I just, that blows my mind. Talk about grace. Just want you to think about that for a moment. We are talking about a dude who's hunting down Christians in Jerusalem. Throwing them in prison. Making sure that they're stamped out. I mean, literally that means that people are getting killed. And it's not enough that he's looking for them in Jerusalem. He, he goes to the high priest and says, hey, Damascus down the road has got some. We need to make sure they're wiped out there too. So I need your permission to go. I mean, that's the kind of dude he is. I mean, he's pretty... Really into his job, isn't he? Yeah, he gets grace. But here's the amazing thing. He just doesn't get grace. God turns around and says, I'm going to use you. Now, does that blow your mind? Does that not blow your mind? That blows my mind. I mean, it's not. it's one thing to say, oh, I'm glad he got saved. But to turn around and be used, that just blows my, that's grace. Now what does that mean for you and I? Think about it. Some of you are here like, okay, you can maybe grasp grace because you realize you're not that good. And you can grasp the grace in your own life and you say, yeah, but God can never use me because of what I did. Do we hear those kind of things? Yeah, we do. Folks, he used Paul. He put him in the apostleship. And folks, not just that he used Paul. Think about how he used Paul. Paul is the reason why the gospel went to the Gentiles. Do you understand? That's you and I, folks. Paul is the reason why we have half of our New Testament. That's, that's, that's amazing, isn't it? That's grace. God would use him. That's, so what's the lesson for you and I? It really doesn't matter what you've done, does it? Grace. And God can use you. God can use you. You know, my favorite psalm is Psalm 37. And in it, of course, the scripture says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in them. Though he yet stumble, he will not utterly be cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hands. And here's what I've been saying lately. God has a plan for you. He delights in you. And even though you mess up, he's there holding you up. In fact, I like to say this to people. 
God's plan figures in your mess-ups. God's plan for you figures in your mess-ups. Because some of you are like, oh, you know, I know God wanted me to do this, and God, you know, but I messed up, so he can't. No, no, God already knew you were going to mess up. Do you understand? He doesn't exist in time. He exists outside of time. He's all-knowing. God's plan for you includes your mess-ups. That's grace, isn't it, folks? That's the example of the Apostle Paul here. Paul states that through Jesus he was placed into the apostleship. Here's what else I want you to see. He was called by Jesus to be obedient to the faith in the world for the gospel. That's the same calling you and I have. You know what? It's not just enough to say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he saves me. Folks, that comes with a responsibility for you to live like you believe. Did you understand what I'm saying? Because you are an example of grace to a world around you. Did you understand what I'm saying? To the people you work with, to the people that your neighbors with, to your family members who don't know Jesus. You, you are to live a life of obedience to the Jesus that you said saved you as an example of the gospel to who? The rest of the world. Did you understand what I'm saying? The rest of the world. Let's go on. Paul points out that his readers were also called to this. Isn't that what I just said to you? You and I were called to the same thing. To, to, to live that kind of life. Live what we believe. And really, I'm going to be honest with you folks, that's why we're studying Romans. Because you've got to understand what you believe. That's why we're studying Romans. So that you begin to understand what you believe. Even if all you walked away from here today is, is I'm no good and thank God for grace. That's a lot today, right? That's a lot today. And that he can use you. Alright? So, let's look and see who the recipients are. Look at verse 7. He's going to, this is where we're going to end today. Who it is. And we're going to talk a little bit here. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God and the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, two things here. First of all, Paul addressed them as those who are loved by God. Over and over in the scripture, you're going to find out that one of the terms that is used of believers, which would be you folks, is beloved. You are beloved. That's an intimate term, isn't it? That's how God sees you. He loves you. So, he's addressing it to those who are loved by God in Rome. Now, let's stop for a moment. Some of you are saying, well, who, who started the church in Rome? Well, I, I know that the, uh, the Roman Catholics would say Peter started it. Okay. But, the problem is, is that that's not necessarily true. Okay. Because Paul went to Rome before Peter ever got there. And at this point, Paul isn't even there yet in this letter. And, listen to me, he's writing a church that's already there, right? Okay, so where does it come from? Where do we, where do we get, how did the, how did, how did the church start there? Well, let's go all the way back to Acts chapter 2. Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. All the way to Pentecost. 
on the day of Pentecost when the church started, it's going to list for you people who were present when the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles and those who were with them. And, it's, and, and we know that that day, thousands got saved and were added to the church. But look with me at verse 10. He's going through a list here of people, areas that these folks that were in Jerusalem were visiting from. So these, these are obviously Jews. And here's what it says, verse 10. He's, he's going through the list. He already went through the list a little bit. And here he goes, from Phrygia, from Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene. And then what's the next section there, folks, if you're reading your Bible? What does it say? Visitors from where? Rome. Okay. Notice, now what it says there, both Jews and what? Proselytes. What's a proselyte, folks? All right, that's what they call a God-fearer, is somebody who's following, but a proselyte is one step further. It is a Gentile who has become a Jew. Okay, so it's a Gentile, a proselyte, you know, a God-fearer, when you read in Acts, you'll read about the people who were God-fearers who were there, the Gentiles who were attending. They didn't want to go that final step. Anybody know what that final step was? Circumcision. Now, a proselyte took the final step. So these were Gentiles who believed in the God of Moses and were circumcised according to the law. That's what was required of them. So you have there, in when the church starts, visitors from Rome. So guess where they're going after they're done visiting, folks? Going back home to Rome. So, so by the time that Paul writes, there's a what there? Church, okay. There's a church there. So, just that's just a little bit of background, so you understand what's where, what, why there's a church. But again, he's addressing them as the beloved. But here's what he says: he addresses them with a common term, reflecting that they are holy or separated to God. So, notice now, back in Romans chapter one, he refers to them as saints. Called to be saints. Now again, if you have heard the term saint before, we think in terms of saints like Mother Teresa. Okay? People, and, and that saints happen, you, you, you become a saint after you're dead as the church makes you a saint. Yes, that's the Roman Catholic system. But that is not the, the use of it in the, of, in the New Testament. A saint is the term that is used to describe a believer. In fact, the word saint, the actual Greek word means holy one. Our English translation is saint. So it's a holy one or a separated one. So he's describing you as holy ones or ones who are separated unto God. Do you understand? Now, isn't that true about you as a Christian? Every one of you, because you say, well, George, man, you don't understand. I'm not living like I should be living, or I've got my problems, and there's no way you can call me a saint. Folks, none of us should be called a saint in the terms of the way we use it today. But in the terms of the Bible, 
It's reflective of you being separated unto God. That was happened through what? Salvation. And to understand, your righteousness is not what allows you to stand before God. It's Christ's righteousness. And he sees you as what? Holy. So this, when you look in the New Testament, especially through Paul's letters, and even Peter's letters, they refer to you as saints, separated ones unto God. Now, isn't that awesome? That's pretty awesome, all right? So let's go on now. Here's the greeting he gives. Paul greets them with a standard greeting of what? Peace and grace. Okay? Now, next week, as with all letters, there's going to be a section of thanksgiving. And Paul's going to give his thanksgiving concerning his Roman readers. And then, after that, two weeks from now, we're going to look at four weeks of why all humanity is condemned. But he takes them group by group. First, it's Gentiles. Why are the Gentiles condemned? Second group is the moralist. What's the moralist? Well, it's the guy who says he's got moral values, he's better than anybody else. Why is he condemned? Well, it sounds like he's got his act together. You'll see why. Third group is unfaithful Jews. And then the fourth group, just in case anybody got missed, why everybody else, all humanity is condemned. That's going to launch us into seeing why we need the gospel.